good to uh, see you all here. Extend my welcome to you as well. It's good to have some familiar faces back amongst us and to get to meet some new familiar faces over the past couple weeks. Um, I think about um, the churches we see in the in Acts chapters, in the, in the, in the chapters in Acts and, and how the apostles and other disciples were going around and, and reporting at different places about the things that God was, was doing in the spreading of the gospel. And we live in a place where we have people coming and going a lot. And it's good to see visitors, good to catch up with them and see how their things are going in their lives. And so it's very encouraging uh, to be here together this morning. I apologize a little bit for my voice. Uh, believe it or not, it's getting better. Uh, I kind of lost my voice, at least part of it. It's been difficult for me to sing, um, but it's getting a little better. So I appreciate your prayers on that behalf. I'd hate to lose my voice. That would be tough for a preacher. Um, so I appreciate your prayers on my behalf uh, for my voice. I want to talk this morning about uh, the good news. You know, there, there's news of the day. We pick up the paper, I guess people, some people still pick up the paper, right, or a couple of mouse clicks, and we're reading about the, the news of the day, right? How much of that is negative? Big chunk of it, isn't it? Big chunk of what we read and what we see every day is negative, and there's reasons for that, and especially during this time of year when there's an election coming up, the negative ads and all those things that, that come about. But there's some good news. There's some good news that has been heralded and trumpeted for a very long time. And that is what we call, of course, the gospel, which means good news. And that is the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's good news in the world that God has sent his only begotten son so that man can be redeemed from his sins. How good, news is, how good a news is that? It's marvelous, isn't it? It's wonderful to think about that, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that something to, to grasp and to behold? That even me, even a sinner as I am, even Paul, Paul talks about this a lot, even him complicit in putting people to death, even he can be saved from his sins by a man named Jesus Christ. This morning I wanted to talk a little bit about that good news. I want to talk about how important it is for us to, to indeed go and tell the good news. That the good news continues to go forth, but it won't if we don't tell people about it. It's up to us to herald and to trumpet that good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Just how important is the gospel? Well, it's pretty important, isn't it? It has the power to save men from their sins, but... Think about these a few things about just how important the gospel is. Jesus wanted the whole world to hear it. Now, we, you know, we have our elections, our local elections, and those kind of things and in our country. We're talking about the whole world. Jesus wanted the whole world to hear this message. In Mark 16 and verse 15, this is Mark's accounting of the, of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Who does that leave out? He's out no one. Jesus Christ wanted this message to go into all the world. That's how important it is. He wanted everyone in the world to hear it. Also understand that it's not just that he wanted people to hear it, but it's a message worth hearing. In Matthew's account, what we just read there, what Brad read, we're going to 
pick up on that a little bit more as we go along from Matthew's recording of the Great Commission. Matthew 28 and verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus taught a lot in his ministry, didn't he? But even John says there's things that he didn't even write down because he says if I wrote down all the things that Jesus did, I guess it would fill all the books in the world. There's good message, of course, in our, our Lord's ministry. So there's a message worth hearing in this gospel, in hearing about Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted his disciples to go forth and to tell people all the things that he had told them. This message has the power to save our souls. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 1, Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now there's a lot in those two verses, isn't there? First of all, I want you to notice something. He says, Now I make known to you, present tense, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, past tense. What does that tell us? tells us that the gospel message needs to be heard over and over and over and over. So before you criticize the gospel preacher, for here's another message on the gospel. Paul says this is a good thing. I'm telling you, brethren, about the gospel which I've already told you about. Peter makes mention of this in his letters, too. I'm telling you things I've already told you, but I'm telling you to stir, these, to stir you up to these things. It's important to hear. He says, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, meaning they had taken the gospel message in. And by doing such, they had been saved. And by doing such, they are also standing in the faith. Verse 2, by which you were also saved, if you hold fast that which is preached to you, unless you believe in vain. You see the power of this message that, that Paul had delivered to these Corinthians. It was able to save their souls. But they had to stand in it. They had to be faithful to it. We need to be constantly reminded about this gospel message, and I hope today's lesson will continue to remind us about this great news. This same gospel message has the power to condemn those who do not believe it. In 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in the second part of verse 7, it says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You see, this is, there's the word gospel right there, right? What does gospel mean? It means good news. But guess what? That news cuts both ways, doesn't it? It tells us of our salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation, as Paul states there in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. But it cuts the other way, too. It can condemn us. Because we have to hold to it, just like Paul told those Corinthians. You're standing in it, you be firm in it. If not, you're going to be lost. So it can save those who receive it, stand in it, and also condemn those who reject it. All from the same message. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about what is the message of the gospel? Now, it's hard to do that in this amount of time, isn't it? 
But there are paths that we can trace through, and I have picked one here that I wanted to, to want you to follow along with and understand how God's plan holds together from the very beginning until right now, until the end of the time. It just says, Jesus says there, and it has his great commission, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the days. This gospel message begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Go back there with me. I'm going to ask you to turn to these passages as we go. Maybe even make yourself a mark or a note, or if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to, to, to trace this little path through, this, this thread through that tells about the message of the gospel. And also I have printed out this full slide if you'd like to have it, there's some copies up here on the front row. Please feel free to take, to take a copy if you'd like it. This is a good uh, little thing to have when you might be talking to someone. A good little reminder of, of what God has done for mankind. I remember in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned. And as such, they created a separation between them and their creator. And that separation exists throughout time. But God had a plan to redeem man from his sins. He put in place a plan that would wash away our sins and redeem us back to our creator. That all begins here in chapter 3 of Genesis, early on. And down in verse 15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and, and her seed, and, you, you, and he shall bruise you on the heel, and you shall bruise him on the head. Now, in our recent studies, we've talked about what that means. This is uh, our um, God um, dealing out the retributions that have taken place because of sin. And here he's talking to the serpent. And later on in Scripture, we know that we have referral to this all the way over in Revelation about that serpent of old, which is the devil. So here the pronunciation against the devil is that at some point in time, there's going to come someone along that will bruise him on the head. What does that mean? It means that someone's going to come along, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he's going to put an end to sin and death. And that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our obedience in him. So this all goes back to Genesis chapter 3 with men becoming separated from their God. But God is a loving God. And he chose to redeem man from his sin. And he chose to do that through a man, through a prophet. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. So God says, I'm going to redeem man from his sins, and I'm going to do it through a man. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Come down to verse 18, and it says it very similarly again. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth... And he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. This is prophetic. We know that because we can go over into Acts chapter 3 and look there as Peter is, is laying out the, the case here 
again for salvation for our Lord. And he refers to this. And he refers to the fact that this one that is spoken about here in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is Jesus Christ. This is the prophet who is going to save man from his sins. And indeed, by the time we get to Acts chapter 3, the day of Pentecost is, is taking place, and, and, and signs and wonders are going on, and, and the apostles have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is the pouring forth of God's plan of salvation onto mankind. So indeed, this is how God is going to redeem his his children. Look over in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Now we can go to lots of different places and many different prophecies to look about the redemption that is foretold through the prophets. But I chose this one because it might ring a little familiar to you and I think captures what it is that God is going to do for mankind. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, it says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call her out that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is that heralding, isn't it? This is that trumpeting of the coming of the Lord. Isaiah is prophesying about a time when the Savior will be born, and he's going to redeem man from his sins. When we come into the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, And we see these events unfolding. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you see how this is all coming together? God says he's going to redeem man from his sins because he has fallen away from him. In Deuteronomy, Moses is prophesying about, or the Lord speaking to Moses, saying that there's going to come a prophet that I'm going to raise up from your countrymen and I'm going to put my words into his mouth. And we know from the connection there in Acts chapter 3 that who's being spoken of there is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40 tells us of this great time when John the Baptist is going to come and herald the way of our Lord, and Jesus is going to come. And he's going to come to this earth. And in Luke chapter 2 here, we see that. We see our Lord being born. Sadly, in order to redeem us from our sins, our Lord's going to have to die. Look over in Matthew chapter 27. We talked we talk this morning in our Bible class about God's wisdom um, versus man's wisdom. Man probably wouldn't do it this way, would he? He wouldn't send the Savior of the world 
And to be born in a, in a manger, outside in a stable, to live a life, to grow up as the son of a carpenter and to learn that trade. And then at the age of 30, he's going to start a, a, three, a ministry that would last for three years and then be put to death at the hands of men. That's God's logic. That's God's wisdom. He's chosen those things to shame the wise. So it was inevitable and it was necessary for the Son of God to be put to death. In Matthew chapter 27, beginning verse 33, it says, And when they come to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And there was a, uh, above his head the charge against him, which is, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You see, it took the death of our Lord in public shame to save us from our sins. terrible death, a terrible death, beaten almost to death, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, left there to slowly suffocate and die. Over in verse 54 of Matthew 27, it says, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Think about who's saying that. This is a guard, a Roman guard that's been placed there to guard Jesus while he's dying. And he witnesses the things that are going on, and he witnesses the earthquake and the, things, the miraculous things that are happening, and he knows about Jesus Christ. What is he saying? This was the Son of God. The good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Look over in Luke chapter 24. The good news is Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And Luke's accounting here in uh, the events shortly after um, his crucifixion and, and now his resurrection. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, Luke chapter 24, beginning verse 1, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men were suddenly standing before them in dazzling apparel, and as the women were terrified and bowed their heads to the ground, the men, to them, uh, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. You see, here's the good news, isn't it? The good news is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And in that we have our hope of salvation. In that we can see 
God's plan carried out and that we can be saved from our sins. But there's our part to play in this as well. Turn over a few pages to Acts chapter 2. Here's the day of Pentecost. Here's when all this is going to come together. The apostles are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, when when I go, I'm going to send the helper. He's going to lead you into all truth. So now they are indeed being led into all truth. And Peter stands up there on the day of Pentecost. And he, he gives this great sermon. And he tells them about this. And the prophets foretold that this man was going to come. And he's going to save men from their sins. And God's going to pour forth his spirit on all mankind. And then he's going to be put to death at the hands of men. And on the third day, he's going to be raised up. And Peter goes on to say that God has set him on his right hand. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know that for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. How would you like to be in that audience and be guilty of putting to death, at least complicit in putting to death the Son of God. It had an effect, didn't it? Because in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? We have put to death the Son of God. What are we going to do? And Peter, again, tells about the good news. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did he say be led away in cuffs because you're accessory to murder? No. Did he say forget it? You have no hope of savior, you have no hope of salvation? No. He told them to repent and be baptized. They've heard the good news. They've heard about Jesus Christ who he was, being put to death at the hands of men, being raised on the third day. And now there's hope. There's hope of salvation. And Peter tells them that. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? And we are subject to this same thing. We are subject to this same gospel call. We can ask today, what shall I do? Look, right here. Hear the news. Believe in the word that you have heard and repent and be baptized. And you can be saved from your sins. For our last, the last part of our time, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about how we might go forward in spreading the good news. How do we go about telling the world of this good news? Well, there's lots of ways, isn't there? I would suggest that you study and know and learn more about God through Bible study and know this message about the good news. But there's a way that this is to go forth. And we're not, led, uh, we're not left to our own devices to, to figure out how that's going to be uh, done. Jesus Christ told us how it's going to be done. 
Matthew chapter 28. We go back to this, these two verses. Brad read them for us earlier. Go therefore into all the world, or go therefore make disciples of all nations. I got the Mark account and the Matthew account switched in my head. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's the way it's going to go forth. And it starts with that word there, go. Go. It means that it, it, it's, got, it's an action word, isn't it? It's got to go. Our brother, Edwin Crozier, when he was here earlier this year, um, talked about the, the, the Greek verb tense here. If you be true to the Greek as it's actually written there, it would read, having gone then. In other words, we're in the world, aren't we? Is the going necessary? Well, we're in the world. So having gone, then what? Having gone, then you take the next step. Sometimes we think, we, we think well, okay, I got to go from here over there, and I'm going to spread the news over there in that place, and, and, and well, they really need the gospel over, overseas, and they do. But people right next door to you need to hear the gospel. So we sometimes think that we've that we got to go somewhere else. Starts in our very closest circles, doesn't it? And it starts by recognizing that there's opportunity everywhere. In John chapter four and verse thirty-five, Jesus says, "Do not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for the harvest. Time is now. The fields are all around us." Having gone, then make disciples of all nations. We're in the world. Let's just recognize and look around and see those white fields. And take that next step, which is to make disciples. Look over in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Beginning of verse 35. It says, And again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist, and he looked upon Jesus and he walked up and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translates means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and I will show you. They came, therefore, and saw that he, where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are uh, Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translates means Peter. The next day he purposed to go into the Gaul of Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus the Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Why do I bring this passage up? 
Guess what these two did when they found out that they had found Jesus Christ? They went and told others, didn't they? We have found him. We have found the one that Moses has spoken of, that prophet that Moses has spoken of. We found him. That's what it means to make disciples. It means that we've got to tell people about Jesus Christ and tell them about this good news. A disciple is a learner or a follower. How is someone going to become a follower of Jesus Christ if they don't know about Jesus Christ? So they need to hear and believe this message that we've been talking about. They need to hear and believe the gospel in order to become a follower. So we've gone, we've made disciples. What do we do next? What does it say? It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So now that we are out in the world and we recognize who Jesus Christ is and we tell other people about him and, and make followers of him, they need to be baptized. Having heard and believed, what must they do now? It's the same as those over in Acts chapter 2. The same message is to those. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the same message. When you hear and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he was like that centurion did and he was put to death at the hands of men and I want to follow after this man, well, you need to be baptized. You need to come into the kingdom. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, our Lord says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we can be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we, if we want to be in the kingdom, we've got to be baptized. We've got to be baptized and then go on our way, continuing to be a disciple of our Lord. What does it say now? After being baptized, our Lord says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Sometimes I think we get this a little out of order, don't we? We think we've got to correct every one of all their faults, and then they're a candidate for baptism. Jesus says, and Peter says, when you recognize who Jesus Christ is and believe in who he is and repent of your sins, and make that confession of who Jesus Christ is, and you're ready to be baptized. And guess what? The learning continues. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What, what did Jesus command them? Well, read the Gospels. That's what Jesus commanded them. Read the book of Acts as the apostles are going forward with this truth that they've been led into. And they demonstrate how they have been taught and they are teaching others. But look what that greatest command is. What does Jesus say when he, when he is asked about uh, what is the, the great commandment in the law? Remember what Jesus says? You shall love, a heart, uh, love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. So if we want to understand what it is that that we are to be teaching people, look what Jesus said. Love God. That's where it starts. 
Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And look what Jesus says next. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just that we love God and isolate ourselves from the world, but we have a responsibility to our neighbors. And in the way that we demonstrate our love to him is how we demonstrate the love we have for God the Father. Of these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. That's the way that the, that the, the good news is going to continue to go forth. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. I hope it's been a reminder about the good news of Jesus Christ. We have that responsibility as his disciples to continue on in our learning, to continue on in our growth. If you're not a child of God, if you have not put on Jesus Christ in baptism, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to understand that there is something that you must do. Recognizing, believing who Jesus Christ is, you have to recognize and know that you have to be baptized to be saved from your sins. We have water. <laughs> Thanks to the efforts of Bill. Our baptistry is holding water. But if not, we got a lot of water around here, don't we? nothing magical about the water in this baptistry. Any water will do. But it takes that, that heart to understand that you have to believe what you have heard. You have to repent of your sins and you have to confess that indeed Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then you are a candidate for baptism. Then you go down into those waters and you wash away the sins of your former life and you are raised up a new creature, to walk in newness of life. If you've not done that, I would encourage you to do so. If as a child of God you are not continuing, you have stumbled and you're not a follower of Christ, your discipleship is in question, I encourage you to make that right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you. <laughs>